0: Everybody. Welcome back to the Wellness Coaching Conversation. I'm Lori Legault, and we have Brian Douglas in the house, of course. Lori. And then we also have a special guest today. And Brian, I'll let you introduce our special guest.
1: We do. We do. I'm, I'm excited to introduce um, Mark Douglas, and I'll get it out of the way right away. Yes, we are related. We're cousins. <laughs> we go way back. But please don't hold that against him. <laughs> <laughs> because as, as I go through and, and give you a little bit about Mark's background, you'll understand why we have him here, the value that he brings, and just the the breadth and depth of his experience. So really quickly, Mark is a, 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 the founder of Encourage Health, where he consults with health tech startups. He has an extensive background in healthcare strategy and innovation, serving as a founder and C-level executive with three health tech startups, Nonatech, CareSpend, and Happy the App. Before that, he was a senior executive at Aetna for close to a decade. He ran their national innovation and public health programs. He has a deep understanding of the intersections of business, government and public health and significant experience with the Medicaid system. He's also worked as a healthcare attorney and a non clinical director. He's earned his law degree, his family nurse practitioner master's degree, and his nursing degree from the Indiana University System. So, I hope I got everything in there, Mark. Welcome to the show.
2: It's great to be here. Thank you to you, Brian and Lori. And, you know, Brian, the only thing I can say is you're older than me. I won't say your <laughs> age, but <laughs> meaning that, like, we're close uh... to age, so it's <laughs> all good bit. So anyway, I no, resemble, I, I resemble that remark. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, it's exciting to be here and you know, I'm, this will be a great conversation.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm really looking forward to all of this knowledge that you can bring us, Mark. You have such amazing background that I don't think that I don't, I don't, the coaching world really needs so much more education coming from this angle. I mean, I don't know that people are getting this angle of, um, of information around which to navigate the coaching and where it, where it belongs most, um, how it can go into certain avenues and, and, um, you know, just be the most helpful. So I'm so excited. So let's get going.
1: Awesome. Yeah. I, I agree with you, Lori, the, the, the concept of health coaching while it's not that old it's a really it's a viable model we're seeing it in in a lot of different industries but specifically you know we've talked a lot about health tech because that you've had some big or bigger startups that have utilized health coaching with varying degrees of success and so what i thought might be a good angle to start with is for mark to kind of help the average health coach which i count myself as one um Help us understand what a startup is. What does that terminology around the startup mean? And kind of like, what is a a life cycle of a startup? Because obviously companies don't want to stay startups forever. So I'd love for you, Mark, to really kind of give us a a synopsis of what a startup is, what does the terminology mean, and and
2: what does that life cycle of a startup look like? Sure. So what I'll tell you is that First of all, let me say I love health coaches, and I'm excited to to be having this conversation with folks who are leaders and experts in health coaching. You know, as a nurse, I have worked with different health coaches and health coaches in different capacities, and I'll have probably more to say about that as we, you know, go through our conversation, and hopefully for those that are listening that are in the health coaching space um, I can help them understand maybe some unique things about, you know, whether it's the business startup space or some other things we may discuss. And then generally, even speaking about healthcare in general. Um, because, you know, yeah, I've done a lot, but it's just because I've been around long enough. If you're around long enough, <laughs> you know, you see a few things. So after about 30 whatever years in healthcare, um, you know, some of it's just by, you know, dumb luck, wrong place, right time, right place, wrong time. Um, but then also, as, as Brian knows, I'm pretty passionate. One thing I'd say, if my, the North Star of my career, which may give some context for my answer, has really been working with vulnerable and at-risk populations. So as Brian alluded to, I've spent a lot of time in the Medicaid space or individuals who receive Medicaid um, as basically their primary source for, their, for covering their health benefit. So it's a it's a unique population and it has a lot of different challenges, a lot of discussion with things like social determinants of health, like where you live is more important. Your zip code basically than the care you give, which will determine the outcomes of your health. And we can talk about that. And that's important, um, especially as we're talking about the startup space. I will tell you this for me to tell you what a startup is. You know, there may be people listening that will laugh. I'll give you my best guess and I'll I'll drop on some personal experiences. But generally speaking, you know, a question, And that question does get asked a lot, like, well, what's what, what's the difference between a startup and just say a small business, right? Like, aren't they just the same thing? And the reality is they are. I mean, someone decides they want to start a company, they have a great idea, they want to, you know, figure a way to get it into the market, whatever it is, you know, it could be a an actual product, it can be a service, it could be a combination of things. In my world, I do a lot of digital health and digital technology. So sometimes we talk about the technology, which might be the software and hardware, But then services that go along with it or that are part and parcel, say, of developing a full suite of products and services that you might sell to a hospital system or a big insurance company or whatever the case may be. But to kind of define it a little bit, and I think it's important, is like a startup is really, and of course, when people hear startup, they start thinking of what? Facebook and, Mm -hmm. you know, all, you know, Uber and, you know, the companies that kind of defined Silicon Valley and what it means to be a startup. And so what I would say is that really a startup what differentiates maybe a startup from say a traditional small business at least at the outset is that <clears throat> these are companies that are really focused on growth and hyper growth and disruption. Like if I had to pick two components, that's kind of it. It's like, hey, I've got an idea that's you know that's going to disrupt the health coaching space. and I want to create value very quickly, grow a company quickly and exit, okay? Which is different, say, from someone that says, "You know what? I want to start a company." Um, I don't know. Let's say I, I take, for example, like a family business. I don't know. I'll, I'll just pull one out of there, like plumbing or something, where it's been in the family for generations, or a family farm, for example, and it's known that that, and then maybe they they add new products and services over time, and they pivot with their company. But there's there may not necessarily be a mind or a line of sight to having an exit, right? And then I would say the last component that's probably unique um, a little bit for startups is really how they're funded. So, you know, you'll hear the term bootstrapping friends and family in Mm -hmm. different rounds. Not that a smaller business would not do the same, but I would say many startups that are in the health tech, tech, digital health uh, and data analytics space, they don't typically do traditional funding that's not I mean that don't that's painting with a very broad brush because that's not true a lot of them will go get standard bank loans and do other things like that and max out credit cards and all that fun stuff but once they get kind of into that you'll hear the term seed round or pre-seed which is like seed funding where angel investors will come in and this may be a company that has a minimally viable product they said hey we got this great idea we've tested it with a couple of beta customers we think we've got something here and here are the results then you have this, you know, angel investors will come in and say, oh, okay, this is early. I want to get involved in this early. I, I think this is, you know, something that's really interesting. And so, and then there's subsequent rounds. So, I'll pause there. I can talk more about that. But does that, that may at least give you a sense of the difference or what, what is a startup? Like, what does it look like?
1: Yeah, I think if if I can kind of synthesize that, you know, a startup is a company that is is based on some sort of a disruptive idea where you feel like you've got a new or different angle that can, that can penetrate a market and potentially change an entire, an entire paradigm, depending on the size of that idea and how actually effective it is. The startup also has a vision of scale. They want to grow. They want to get really big, really fast. You also mentioned a word in there that I think is really important for people to understand, and that is exit. Because unlike a family business, you know, which people don't normally start with the idea of selling. A business like this, though, you actually are starting it with the idea of exiting, which means at that point, when you exit, it kind of ceases to be a startup or it becomes something different. Is is that accurate? Yeah, no.
2: So so yeah, no. Excellent point. And I think it's important to know because some of the you know folks that are listening here maybe they've worked for a startup or thinking about working for a startup and like what does that mean and what do i need to be thinking about we can talk more about that but yeah so what does an exit look like so if you're a startup you know you've gone through your kind of bootstrapping friends and family you've made it out of that really tough phase um, which can take sometimes that can be a two to three sometimes even longer phase of just getting a product that's viable that you can take to market and actually go to investors and say hey i think i've got something here so what typically happens is that you go through these seed rounds and you know that could mean an investment in your company from like half a million to 2 million dollars and you have a valuation meaning like the value of your company is somewhere you know maybe in that 3 to 8 million dollar range. And if you're successful there and the company's growing the next leg up is to do and these are with accredited investors. Like this is a very specific thing that's happening. Like there are investment groups, venture capitalists, eventually we can talk about private equity. But these are folks, this is what they do. They find small companies, they invest in them. And you can go through what's called a series of rounds of investment. And it's like series, it literally go series A, B, C, and D. And all that is, is progressively as you go into these deeper series rounds, you're getting more investments so like in a, like say in a series, uh, C raise instead of raising maybe a couple million that you're raising in that seed round, you might be raising 20 or $30 million wow. and the valuation of your company might've been 10 million. Now it's like two or 300 million. Right. Mm. So you're getting to this point where you've shown sustained growth. You're taking on invest. So, uh, you know, as you're taking on investments, we can talk about this very, uh, tough economic environment we're in, but assuming that you're growing the company, Then you're, to your point, Brian, you start becoming what's called like you're early stage startup, late stage startup. And then you're kind of knocking on the door of just being like, hmm, you're your own thing where you're either going to get purchased, bought or an IPO, right? So if you get big enough, you're actually going to go out there and say, hey, we want to become a public company, a publicly traded company. And of course, I would tell you that, you know, I won't say every startup starts with that exit in mind. I think they're, I would say more often than not, it depends on what they're trying to do they definitely have exit on their mind. And what's that time mm-hmm. frame look like? You're talking five to seven years, sometimes a little bit longer, depending on the industry. I think the average time from like literally inception to actually exit is seven years. So you can see it's not like, uh, you know, it takes time to build a good company. And yeah. some people say, well, that's short. I can tell you in, in the space, I mean, people would say, eh, that that may be too long for some and too short for others, depending mm-hmm. again on what you're trying to accomplish. So you know, and I think that's also important to think about. So if you were joining a company, you would want to know, like, hey, where are you in the in, in your journey as being a star? Are you you know, where did you have you taken investment at a seed round? Are you in a series raise? Are you, you know, where are you in that journey? And you know, the numbers I'm giving you are very much like averages, and mm-hmm. you know, all over the place. So I can tell you right now. I just attended a a, a a venture conference. I mean, this economic environment where it's like throw everything you knew out the window from like a year ago because no deals are being done the same way now. Much much to the detriment of startups. Frankly, they're the ones mm. losing out right now. But um, but anyway, I'll stop there. So those are some you know kind of add some additional thought to like you know what is the what does an investment look like? What's that timeline look like? And what's unique about a startup for that mm. startup?
0: Yeah, that's really helpful um, to understand. I mean, this is literally stuff that I've never known because I've never been involved in a startup before. And I'm wondering when we see health coaching positions on new apps, is that is that maybe what we're sometimes seeing? Like, I don't, I don't really know.
2: Well, I yeah, I think you know, I've seen the health coaching. I mean, like, I I was fortunate to be have founder status with the company that Brian mentioned called Happy, which although. Not health coaching per se, had a peer support component to it. So there was some overlap, I would say, between kind of the roles, not exactly the same, but what we were what what I've seen in the industry, whether it's in the and i I obviously my area, if I have an area of expertise, I'm get yeah, every day I'm learning as you get older, you realize you don't know anything. Uh, but you know you see health coaches, you know, utilized in any number of ways. So it could be, for example, like a maternal health company. So working with coaching moms pre and post delivery um, or, you know, working with on parenting seals, it could be, um, I've got a company I know where they were working with folks that were going through chronic pain management, like a uh, physical therapy company, like physical therapy app tied in with a, you know, kind of a health coaching mom. I mean, there's a lot of different applications. So when you say an app, um, yes. So that, that might be, so when I was talking about earlier, like a company might say, Hey, we've got an app. And this app is going to do certain things or certain functionality and certain engagement interaction our customer will have with us. But then we also want to bring in the value of a health coach to do this more personalized education, uh, training, whatever you want to call it, mm. to work with that individual to achieve whatever the goals may be under the guise of that business. Well, again, using a like chronic pain management or maternal health as an example. So, um, and there are a lot of companies out there that are looking to use health coaches in different ways to help, again, drive to those outcomes that, you know, that you need and creating that personalized experience, that relationship that we know is so important. Um, So, yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of different applications out there for that. Yeah,
0: it's just so cool because that's something I never think about as far as asking. I love how you said You may want to ask where, you know, like if you're trying to get a job somewhere, uh, asking them, where are you in the process right now? Like, I never think about that. You know, that's such a good question for people to ask a potential employer.
2: Yeah. So, you know, here's some, here's some things that, and, you know, as I get older, I, I, you know, it's just like, why didn't I, you know, you look back in your life, like, why didn't I just ask the question? Right. And I will tell you, I think there are a lot of opportunities for health coaches in what I'll call the general healthcare wellness space. But if you're a health coach and you say, you know what, there's a company there and you know that they're a quote unquote startup or, you know, you know something that they're a newer company. Don't be afraid to ask whether it's the directly the founders, the, the you know, executives, whoever, because in a smaller to midsize startup, just trust me when I tell you, they all wear lots of different hats. And most of them are more than happy to tell you the story about their company. And they're looking to recruit people that are as passionate about their mission as they are. So they're happy to say, look, this is where we are. And I think it's important if you're a health coach to be able to say, look, how are you funded? Are you well capitalized? Are you about ready to run out of money? Like, when did you do your last round? When are you going to do your next round? That's actually maybe the better question is when was your last round? When's your new round? And I'd say a good time to come in at a company. And this is pretty common is like after they've just had, a, they've just raised a round because one of the first things they're going to do is deploy capital. what are they going to do? They're going to hire people. So that mm. can be a good time to come in to a company and also a, a great time to get involved at an earlier stage. It could even mean if you become instrumental in their company, that you could have options in the company, or there can be other incentives for them to be able to pay you. Now, I will tell you the flip side sometimes is sometimes is the case that, you know, the benefits may not always be the best, but there can be upside. So there's a little bit of risk of being involved. Now that's with an earlier stage startup. Now, if you get involved to a latter stage startup, let's say, you know, they've been at it seven, eight, nine years, maybe even longer you know, they, they may come in offering, you know, full benefits and all those types of things. But, you know, I have found in the startup space, there are plenty of people that don't mind the risk. They're excited to jump into something new. They get passionate about it. I mean, I can speak to that for my time, even, you know, any of the companies I've worked with and people are excited to just say, hey, I, I want to do something new and different. This sounds exciting. I want to change the world. And they bring that whole attitude and ethos with them. So, you know, health coaches can, can definitely find great opportunities there.
0: Well, really good to know this information. I mean, the only bummer is that sadly health coaches don't seem to really be able to ask for much money. That is a problem in our industry a yeah. definite problem, especially because people typically don't start off being a health coach. They have a lot of other background. And like with your background that you have of nurse practitioner and nurse, I think a lot of health coaches have that background. And yet as a coach, they don't get hired quite that, you know, it doesn't show that all that experience, they kind of come in at the, at the entry level as a coach.
2: Well, and I think, you know, What I would say, I guess the response to that is it's germane to maybe this discussion is if you're a health coach and you have any experience background prior to, and it could be anything, if you're a nurse, fantastic. If you are in business, trust me when I tell you, startups are looking, as I mentioned, they all wear lots of hats. So it could be that they're looking for someone that you can say, look, your core competency or the core thing we need you to do is to be an excellent health coach. But because you have this background in business or nursing or whatever, could you do other things? Now, I would probably say to my nursing or licensed clinical social work or other folks, like you know, if you're gonna, you know, you should probably get paid your value of your license. Um, I would say that for anybody, usually. But but I recognize what you're saying, Lori, and I think it's a good point. Like, you know, that and that could be part of the discussion because, for example, if you if a startup really wanted to hire you, and they say, well, we we don't have the you know our benefits. Kind of stink but you're like well maybe that's where you say well i want to get paid a little bit more or you have you know different you know time off or you arrange your works i mean there's other ways i know I'm, I'm you know maybe saying things that people already know but my, my point in saying is that i you know startups are they starve for really good people that are committed to what they're doing so they're willing to be flexible so keep that in mind and don't sell yourself short you know because i'm sure the majority as you mentioned of the health coaches your colleagues and folks that listen to this They have deep experience doing that. In fact, some of them, maybe they're like, yeah, I ran a startup, you know, or I did something like this, or I started my own company, or I've I've done my own health coaching business. So, you know, it's the same pains and struggles to grow a company and business. So people that understand that coming in, it's a huge, huge benefit and Mm -hmm. something that's definitely valued
0: really good information. I love this. I think it's really important. It makes me think because I have two really good business ideas right now. I'm like, oh, I might have to think about making a startup.
2: There you go. I don't know
0: where to start with a startup, but.
1: I feel like this is becoming an episode of Shark Tank.
0: <laughs> I know, I know, right? Well, hey, if we
2: want to do that, sounds fun, actually. Let's do yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Wait,
0: well, so I have and, two really good ideas specific to my location of where I live, really, but. Um,
1: we'll talk offline, Lori. That sounds great.
0: <laughs> all right, all right. You two are my first employees for my startup. <laughs> all right, let's do it.
2: I'm in.
1: Yeah, I I really appreciate the the context that you provided, Mark, because I I do I personally have experience working in a in a later stage startup, and so my experience was that when they when they got institutional investor capital that. Turned it into something other than a startup, and and it became very much kind of a a, a less growth minded environment, and and a lot of costs were cut, including a lot of staff. And so, what what I really think could be helpful to our listeners is if you can maybe, because I think you touched on it a little bit, of some of the benefits of of working for an earlier stage startup, but really maybe talk a little bit about the pros and the cons of work of going to work for a company, depending on where it is in the startup journey. And how can maybe a health coach kind of figure that out before they
2: get hired? Does that make sense? Makes perfect sense. And, you know, Brian knows me, I'm I'm very candid and honest in my assessment of things. <laughs> um, and so Brian raises a really interesting point because um, you know, as I mentioned, when I when a startup, let's just say maybe a middle stage startup, starts taking on like those 20, 30, 40 million and up rounds, two things are happening inside the company, and it's all chaos. Trust me when I tell you, <laughs> mm. is that. First of all, what they've been able to prove is that they have a business model that works. They've been able to prove they have a product that has traction in the market. They've been able to demonstrate that they have outcomes of some kind. Now, we could sit here and argue whether some folks out there are snake oil sales folks. There are those out there. But typically speaking, the due diligence gets harder and harder. So, you know, an institutional or other investor is not going to come in and put 30 or 40 million into a company and say, ah, well, we hope you do well. I I will tell you, though, we're coming out of an environment where it was a little crazy like that. Mm. So coming into even like post-pandemic, that's why I mentioned this economic environment, things changed dramatically. Like there was due diligence being done on the back of a napkin. And it was there was the FOMO, right? Fear of missing out. Mm. Next, the next Google, the next Uber, the next, you know, because people have been able to inflate their valuations. And what's that? Just meaning the value of their company, because we are in an environment that these valuations are just being driven up and up and up for really no good reason, I guess I would say. So we've kind of come back down to earth on that. But where I was going with it to your point is that as these companies are taking on more capital and they're growing, 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 because that's their incentive. You you get money to grow the company. Right. And I can talk about all the Mm. good and bad that comes with that. But once you reach a point where you have say a big private equity or some bigger institutional investor, you're right. The game changes because the two things are happening. One is they're like, "Well, we're going to come in and basically take over this company, and what we're going to do is we're going to take all the chaos that they that this company's been through to get to this point, and we're going to we're going to we're going to we're going to quote unquote clean it up. Mm. <laughs> we're going to get it IPO ready. Okay, that's really what happens with a lot of these companies, and so in the process of doing that. Sometimes good things happen and sometimes bad things happen. Mm -hmm. The good things that can happen is that they don't mess with the management too much. They let the leaders lead. They give them the capital they need. Maybe they get out of the way. Maybe they help them with some formal informal guidance on how to structure the company. So it's best position for an IPO. Worst case scenario is they come in and just start slashing and burning and saying, okay, we're going to cut all expenses. We're going to, we think your product is, 80% ride or 70% ride, but we're going to cut 30% of your, you know, and just, and and it can be very painful. Mm -hmm. Um, So those, and that I, unfortunately is kind of the, I'm, I'm being super high level, but that kind of is though, in many sense of the word, this, the world of startups. And so if you're a health coach and you're asking yourself, you know what, I've got a great company looks like they're doing good things maybe you've interviewed with them maybe you know people that work there there's a good vibe a good energy i mean i would go back to some of the questions i was asking for look at where they've raised google them google their founders Link. go to linkedin you know get that information to Lori's point ask those questions just to get a sense of where you are i mean like any job you take there's always risk and it's a little bit of a gamble and you sometimes you can be sold a bill of goods and then the other thing can happen is that you know you might be a year or two into your job Things have gone very well. Maybe you've moved up and that. And then suddenly there's a pi- private equity and enters the picture and you're like, oh, you know, here we go. And you don't know. It's like a train that just suddenly collides, right? Yeah. So those are some thoughts. But I, you know, look, the, here's the last thing I would say on that, though, is I, I wouldn't let... I mean, try to be as educated as you can, but don't let it scare your don't let it scare yourself. And I would I always tell people follow your gut and your intuition. Yeah. If you have a company you're talking to, and it's like, wow, you know, I love this company, go for it. But then if you're part of you is like, huh, you know, you maybe you ask some of the questions, or if you like, you know, these guys just mentioned private equity came, you know, or somebody else came in to manage the company, and oh, the CEO just left the company, and the CTO mm-hmm. just left. Those 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 aren't aren't always red flags. But they certainly, to me, would be yellow flags that you would want to explore and say, well, why the change in uh, leadership? What's going on? Makes sense. And then then you can really, I think, have a better understanding um, of kind of what may be happening within the, the company and the culture of the company. And then I would say, if those are questions in your mind and you're in an interview process, ask those questions. Mm. And I think yeah, I think you'll impress people because people will be like, oh, OK, you're kind of really are wanting to understand where this company's at and where you fit. And the answer is absolutely i need to know that this is company is going to be around in you know 3 or 4 or 5 years or whatever you know is in your mind at least in the next 3 to 5 weeks right and <laughs> you know um and and look i also say this promise last last point because we are in an economic environment right now where a lot of startups that did deep rounds are it's a little painful for them right now mm-hmm. um so there might be great companies that were actually pretty well run but they just have run into the economic conditions around where things in some aspects are slowing down. So, um, you know, that, that's just a reality right now too, but I also do know companies that are hiring. I mean, so it's not, yeah. not for everybody. I mean, not all companies are, you know,
1: No, that's are, that, are that's, good. Job. that's good stuff. And, and, yeah. you know, I, I think what you've just done too, is, is you kind of empowered coaches a little bit to say, Hey, dig, dig for this information. And, and when you go into an interview, be empowered, you know, ask, ask these, these honest questions in a way that isn't contentious, but in a way that's curious and, and do what you do as a coach, because that's, that's part of kind of the core of what we do as coaches is, is to get curious and ask good questions. And I think that, that not divesting oneself of those key skills when you go into an interview is a really smart thing because you never know what information you may learn by simply asking a good open-ended question. So I I, I really appreciate that. And, you know, you touched on the current economic conditions, and I feel like, you know, that's that's a much bigger conversation that we can set aside other than to i think recognize that these macro conditions are cyclical and so like you know if if the past is a is a predictor of the future that we will see things swing back around diving though a little bit deeper into specifically kind of the health tech space and the role that coaches play within it i am curious what your thoughts are what do you what do you see as the future of health and wellness coaching in the field. I mean, what what are your thoughts here based upon both the macro and micro conditions and and you know, I think we'll probably want to table the AI conversation and maybe have a separate episode. I mean, I'm just saying, you know, we w- w- there's a lot we can talk about regarding AI. I don't know if we have enough time to do it, so I'll leave it up to you if you want to go into that. Um but I am curious to know um where you think the health coaching profession specifically within health tech, you know, where, where do you think the future is with
2: that? Does it have a future? And if so, Do you
0: have an eight ball?
2: Yeah. (laughs) Shake it up, man. (laughs) You know, I I actually love this question and I actually, part of what I do. So I, so even though, um, as Brian mentioned, I mean, I do consulting and I've been very fortunate to, to consult with a lot of different companies um, this question is this question's really on the table. So n- not just for respect to health coaches, but I'll put myself in the shoes of you and wanting to understand for a health coach. But there are some things happening within the healthcare industry that I think are definitely positives and things to look for. I'm happy to come back and talk about AI. I might touch on it just to kind of give some perspective on it, just as it pertains to the question you asked. But let let me take like two steps back and talk a little bit about what's happening in healthcare right now, because I think that will also help paint the picture. So right now there's a, probably if I had to pick three things that are moving in healthcare right now, and I could pick more, but probably, you know, like in my world, the biggest thing and we'll talk about data and analytics and what does that mean? It's like, and that's where kind of this AI discussion kind of comes in. So if you think about like anything that's happening in the digital tech health space, any company you create. So like, for example, a company that I'm now currently serving as the chief operating officer for is a virtual health remote monitoring company. So we're putting devices in people's homes. I mean, heck, I have one sitting here. I mean, I've got like, you know, we've all seen like a pulse oximeter. you can't see it on the radio. You guys can see it or see it on the podcast. But the point being is like, you know, you could take your blood pressure at home. Well, why is that a big deal? Well, if I'm a, you know, as a former primary care provider, when someone walks out the door, I don't know what's going to, I don't know what's going on with them. So we're able to now aggregate data from, you know, community-based sources, and there's a huge movement. But that those the data, the bits, if you will, that that the pieces of information, how we contextualize it and share it, whether it's with the provider team, back to the patient individual user, or anybody else on the care team, the recording care, is a critical function that continues to evolve. This is not new, but what I can tell you is like we're at a we we are at an inflection point and ai is the inflection no question in my mind but for a health tech and digital health startup and if you're a health coach you need to understand that like what's happening behind the user interface if you will that pushing and pulling of data or even if you're a health coach and you have data being pushed to you that's kind of like the bread and butter secret sauce for a lot of these companies including like the broader context of healthcare so think about all the different stakeholders from a big healthcare system to like down to a specialist to, you know, a community health center, all these, you know, all these different things that are going on. The second thing that's moving outside the data analytics, and this all kind of fits together is the movement to value-based payment. Well, what is that? That means that if you go see your doctor, you you have a hospital stay or an ER stay, you're going to get, you know, you have your insurance, you show your card, you're going to have a copay, you may have your deductible, but that hospital, okay. And even on the payer side too, I used to work for Aetna for many years. They don't get paid unless they're providing high quality care. It used to be the old fee for service model, which is still around. I say old, but let's just say that the foundational of what we would call the modern healthcare system, even with Medicare and Medicaid, is a fee for service model, meaning I, you know, I was a provider, I go and say, Hey, I looked in your ears, I found an ear infection, if I fill out a certain code, I get paid X for that, right? Well, now it's like, did you get, you know, did Mark get his immunizations on time? Did he come in for his annual well exam? And so there's a ton of money being paid or it's like it's being withheld and only paid out if these entities, providers, et cetera, and all their downstream partners can meet these certain quality metrics. And I'm touching really on the very tip of the iceberg. And then the third thing, which I think has really been interesting, and I think something where health coaches can play just, I think this might be the most important thing. And I can come back and address the first two, because I know people may have heard both those things and be like, I don't know how that pertains to me. But the third thing is there's a lot of talk about social determinants of health and social care. So again, all the things in our life that impact our health, in fact, 80% of our health outcomes are going to be impacted, as I said earlier, about where we live, if we live in a food desert, the Mm -hmm. water we have to eat, crime, our access to education, all of these things create kind of this, you know, uh, unique lived experience for all of us. And I will tell, I am actually, I am more optimistic than I think I've been. I spent like I, and Brian knows this. And early in my career, when I was a nurse practitioner, I worked with folks. You know, this is before the passage of the Affordable Care Act, which I think everyone probably knows, you know, in 2010, where, you know, I worked with folks that were houseless, that, you know, were the vulnerable and at risk population. And, you know, while the organization I work for, we address social determinants. It was like if I went and talked, here's an, I'll tell you a really quick story. Like We would go and knock, and I'll call them out by name. We would go to Anthem's door and say, hey, would you mind donating to our clinic because we're taking care of all these patients? And like, we don't, what are you talking, we, no, we don't need to do that. Going fast forwarding 20 years to where literally the building where we co-located services, we were way ahead of our time. I give a ton of credit to Dr. Trippy and Rebecca Seifer. Edna now our Anthem bought the building and completely like refurbished it because like, oh, we want we were serious about this housing crisis and we want to do stuff for housing. And look, I'm, I'm excited they did it. I mean, great. But my point is, there's just been a significant evolution in how we understand health, what it means to be healthy, how we define where health occurs, because it used to be, well, health occurs when you go to see your nurse practitioner. Well, that's part of the equation, but that's, that's actually not where health occurs. It's actually a daily rituals, daily experience, Mm -hmm. you know, food you eat. Exactly. So when I think about the health coaching role, I get excited about it because a health coach can be part of that extended care team. So one other thing I would say in the evolution of all this is that there are all types of permutations. You'll hear the term disease management, population health management, a care management, right? And I, I've been fortunate to design and develop programs related to all of those. But there's definitely a role for health coaches to be participating as part of that larger interdisciplinary, multidisciplinary team as an important role. And it can be, called I'd say health coaches can be called even different things. Like, you know, I know that the, the name is evolving. I know health coach is a very specific name with specific competencies. I'm not, I, I want to acknowledge that. But what I'm saying is like, you you might be able to even morph that role and skills into something where you're participating on a team, where you're providing very valuable service, you might even be the person that's closest to, I'm going to use the term member if you're an insurance company or patient, you might be the person that's closest and have the best relationship where you're the one helping them and understanding or seeing when there are health status changes that you can see before anyone else sees. So I think a lot of it too is, you know, and kind of going back to Lori, I think where Lori was going to is like, I always tell folks, you know, you're limited by your creativity and your innovative, you know, your innovative spirit. Like, so if you're a health coach and you're thinking to yourself, you know, I, I see I can only do these things, stereotypical things. Now, I, I would add, I would I would suggest that, yes, know those things. And that's important. But in, that's why in the startup space that, you know, this is just ripe with people thinking, oh, no, we're not going to do it that way. We're going to do it a different way. So you may find and this is true for hospital systems now, too. Like I'll give you an example. I was just in Cleveland this week there's a big health system there, Summa Health, and I was in Akron, Ohio, actually, and I probably might get the name slightly wrong, but they had a primary care clinic on one side, and on the other side, they had a health equity clinic. Now, I didn't get a chance to go in there, but I was like, they're taking it seriously, and this was, I could tell by the neighborhood I was in, like, I've been doing this a long time, that this was, you know, a socioeconomically challenged neighborhood. Clearly, it was, but I'm like, oh, it's not, and you know, they're taking it seriously. So when you start thinking about, you know, as a health coach, you know, two things come to mind. One is be aware of kind of what's happening, and Brian, I knew you'd probably ask a question. Uh, you know, be with, be aware of these kind of bigger forces that are moving in healthcare, mm-hmm. and two, don't be afraid to, you know, to to th- if you like, kind of what Lori was saying. Oh, I've got two great ideas for a company. As a health coach, you might say, well, why can't I just go in to, and talk to Suma Health, and they've got this health equity office? And what is it that, where can I participate? You know, it goes back to fundamentally asking the question. So I, I I, am, I mean, while I may be pessimistic on some things and skeptical in other areas, I'm pretty optimistic that I think we are, you know, finally getting some things right. Our healthcare system is still broken. Okay. I'm just going to, sorry, bad news, yeah. but it's, it's less broken and better in some ways than it was when I first started this. And I'll stop there.
1: <laughs> what, <Wait. clears throat> Lori, you were going to say something?
0: Well, I was going to say that I really like the trajectory of this conversation, just because what dawned on me is that health coaches have so much to offer, typically more than they realize. I think when someone makes a switch to be a health coach, then they're like, okay, now I'm starting all over again, the bottom of the barrel of my like new new chosen career. When in reality, well, and so actually I'll say this before I say the next thing is, so they, they think, okay, now I'm in a new career. So now I'm going to start at the bottom and they're taking positions where I see this on the, the NBHWC Facebook mm-hmm. page, uh, which is a national board Facebook page for health coaches is they're taking positions that are entry-level positions, like getting paid $16 an hour to work as a health coach when they have all this other experience. And I don't think people are leveraging that very well, not to their fault, but I think they're just not thinking about it in the term that you just mentioned, Mark. and so. I feel like almost coaches actually have to have kind of a revolution about this and say, hold on a second. I am coming to the table with so much experience that is, uh, you know, it now includes health coaching. And so I actually have a, a, a beautiful package to offer. And I think of myself in that, that way. Cause I was a, I've been in the wellness field for 25 years, but when I became a health coach two years ago, um, I f- had that same mentality that I just mentioned. And so I have started off at the bottom of the barrel, uh, financially, you know, because that's actually what health coaching jobs are offering. Mm-hmm. And so that's where I feel like we have to have a revolution and be like, hold on. We are, we have so much more to offer. And so, um, I mean, gosh, people I speak to and have spoken to and see like their, uh, their backgrounds are amazing and, just with all the things you just mentioned, so much has come to mind with like ideas and ways of managing this, um, this field differently. So,
2: yeah. And if I had to pick, um, here's one thing, you know, I'm, and you know, you, you, you are the experts for sure, you know, and I, and what, what I was mentioning earlier, some of those changes happening, that's kind of what I would call in what I would say the traditional healthcare ecosystem, so hospitals, insurers, all that, and there's a ton of opportunities. But as you know, and Lori, you, you and Brian, you know too. I mean, the wellness health industry goes, you know, the, it's well beyond that. You know, three, whatever, four trillion plus industry. I mean, so I don't want, I I hope I don't want to give the impression to you or to the the health coaches listening, like, oh, there's this little area that no, 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 I'm not saying that at all. But what I'm saying is. From my experience and from, from my vantage point, there are a lot of opportunities. Yeah, I, I think that so to your point, Lori, within that traditional health system, there's still a ton of opportunities. But I do think it is going to require, I think, Lori, to your point, you know, a discussion, reimagining uh education where you're showing that value. And I will tell you, so going back to where I was talking about value base. So, you know, again, think of it, think of it like this if a hospital is like saying, well, We're going to get, I'll just give an example of this, like a huge focus in the hospital system or for hospitals, if you and actually across really that ecosystem is avoidable readmissions back to the hospital. So you go in the hospital, you have an acute event, you go home. So there's something called 30 day avoidable readmissions. It's a huge thing. So for a health coach to be knowledgeable and understand that to say, well, then how can I help be part of that team to keep folks out of the hospital? Mm -hmm. And I can tell you that right there is a business idea. Mm -hmm. I'll just say, I mean, a lot of people do that, but I'm just saying like, that's an example of where you're you're showing outcomes and value in a way that's meaningful that there's can be a, you know, an ROI hung onto it. So it's not just you as a health coach going in. Well, look, I have these amazing skills. I have these amazing backgrounds and you do, and it's awesome. And that, trust me, that's worth something. It's valuable. But if you can go one step further and show a hospital system or somebody else like, Hey, I know what you guys are trying to do. I know your goals. Like our goals are aligned and I'm really good at doing this. So here's the piece or part I could own of it. You're off to the races at that point. You can really start. What a good
0: point there. Like to be able to not only show that you have skills to contribute, but that, you know, their mission and that you're you're really going to tackle it from that side and, Absolutely. Health coaches can be so valuable. Like I'm surprised we haven't, maybe there is, I haven't heard of it. Haven't seen health coaches be just brought in by the dozens to hospitals to reach out to patients as they leave for whatever reason they came for and to coach them around managing their health in such a way that they don't have to come back.
2: Yeah. You know, I, and I, I think they're. I think that they, they can and they do. And that's why I, I kind of made this statement I made. And I apologize if I go sideways on this, you can tell me. But that's why I think sometimes like I think the skill set that health coaches have match very nicely. And even I think evolve with different roles that may already, you know, let's just take, for example, like a diabetic educator, for example, or somebody. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's some roles that are out there, but I I think there are unique things that a health coach can do. And I'll just tell you, there's a ton of interest in that, like even on the payer side. So I work for Edna. I mean, you know, at the health plan level, we were hiring folks that maybe they didn't have a clinical background even, but they were really good. They had great interpersonal skills. They understood they were passionate about helping people and, you know, they were smart people. So I, like I said, I think it's really how, you know, sometimes you do have to think about packaging yourself. And I, you know, I also think about it like from a startup every day, because I, I literally had to have the same conversation with my company as I'm going to, you know, a a physician group, a big physician group or hospital system say, Hey, we are aligned, right? This is how we're aligned. Here's how I can help you. You know, it's the same kind of thing. And then asking some of those basic questions like, well, how do you guys manage your discharge process? And is it successful? And what, what resources do you need to make it more successful? And if I'm a health coach say, well, how, how can I fit in that? So, but yeah, so I yeah, I think, you know, again, I I I think there's a lot of opportunities.
1: I, I think that I love this. This is great. I I, I do too, and I think it's a, a good place for us to stop because I I think that there's a whole other episode floating in the ether waiting to happen with this this conversation here. And yeah. and we want to keep things, you know, digestible and and I think that that closing on a question like that of really challenging our fellow health coaches to ask, not just what is it that you bring to the table, but how might you be aligned with the goals of different organizations and different entities? And in doing so, in determining that alignment, be able to demonstrate, and we talked about this before, an actual outcome. You know, that 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 measured, quantifiable outcome that benefits the patient, but it also benefits the organization financially. I think that's a really important thing for coaches to think about.
0: Yep. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> ah such good information. I learned a lot today. Man, thank you so much, Mark. I think that this is a different way of looking at health coaching that is so important and so needed. And So much more to ask, you know, after this is digested, like ask more. And it just seems like since we have a little bit of an in with you, (laughs) we might be able to bring you back again and um, continue a little bit more into that AI discussion in healthcare and how this might affect coaching as well. and. I like that you also think of the positive ways in which everything is affecting, you know, what's going on, because sure, there's always going to be maybe a little bit of a negative part of it, but also positives. So um,
2: yeah. you have to stay I always try to stay optimistic regardless, but I'm also a realist. So I think, you know, I appreciate having the conversation. I think what you all are doing um, as experts in the field to help your colleagues, you know, be exposed to different thoughts and voices. And again, I'm I'm out there in the wilderness with you all trying to figure it out too. So, but I, yeah. I really appreciate the time. It's great to be on with you and I would welcome coming back and uh, we could have, a, am sure, an interesting conversation on AI.
0: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> sure. definitely. All right. Well, I guess that concludes our, uh, our episode today. And thanks everybody for chiming in. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Brian. We'll be back again next week
1: absolutely looking forward to it thanks so much to both of you all right thank you
0: bye everybody